Hi there, I'm Amanda Stevens, and welcome to the Epic Podcast, where I explore the minds of some of the planet's most epic entrepreneurs, business leaders, and visionaries to unearth their incredible stories, their journey to success, how they do what they do, and most importantly, why. My hope is that you'll find some inspiration in each episode, some new ideas, or perhaps just a little motivation to build an epic business and life. Good morning, afternoon or evening, whatever time it is where you are. I'm so glad you've joined us today. I'm really excited to bring you this episode because we today are talking about boobs breasts, boobies, girls, whatever you want to call them, and more importantly, how catering to a niche market of larger breasted consumers has allowed one entrepreneur to completely defy the retail trend. In a moment, you're going to meet Maxine Windrum, who, along with her mum, Lynn, heads up Brava Lingerie, a chain of specialist lingerie stores and growing online business that caters to D cup and up. And in a business climate that many experts are calling an official retail recession, Brava is profitable, growing and looking to expand their retail footprint. Not bad considering Maxine and Lynn started this business with zero retail experience and having never fit a bra. And we've got the amazing Tina Tower here again with another productivity hack segment. It's all happening here on the Epic Podcast. I hope you're ready for the epicness that is exuding from today's show. Now, all that's left is the Epic Tunes. Ready, Mr. Music. My guest today is a bit of a retail renegade. She not only started a retail business with no business experience, she started a lingerie business with no experience in lingerie, apart from her own. She'd worn a bra, but had never fit one. Maxine Windrum is the founder of Brava Lingerie, a bricks and mortar and online retail business that is achieving what many even larger retail brands can only dream of right now. It's profitable, it's growing, and it has rock solid customer loyalty. Brava has won a host of awards for their customer service excellence, and Maxine is here to share how she's done it, the mistakes she's made, and how she's literally learned everything there is to know about a retail business in real time as she's done it. Maxine, welcome to the Epic Podcast. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. So the first question I want to ask, Maxine, is when you started Brava, I just find this part of the story extraordinary. You started in 2006. You had no retail experience, in fact, no real business experience, um, and you'd actually never fitted a bra, but you came up with this concept um, and launched it. Did you feel that you were taking a big risk when you launched Brava, given your lack of retail experience? Oh, look, I think it was a, a bit of naivety because I can't remember feeling that scared. Um, I just remember, so it was mum and I who, who started it together. We just felt so passionate about the idea and that women needed better options when it came to bras. We just dived straight in. I mean, we did do research. We, we spent probably about a year mystery shopping, um, you know, looking at other businesses, looking what, what was around. And it was clear that, you know, you know, women needed this sort of service. So, yeah, I can't actually remember feeling scared. I, I think I was more excited than anything. Um, 
had I known the the risks and um, the challenges, then maybe we wouldn't have opened the doors to that store. I think um, the naivety served us quite well, actually. Yeah, it's good. Good. You don't know what you don't know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when you say you researched, uh, this is fascinating to me because when you're wanting to launch a concept that um, focuses on a pretty specific part of the market, i.e. women with large cup sizes, how yep. do you how do you validate or how do you research and validate the size of the market given, you know, it's not as if we're asked on the census questionnaire what our, you know, boob size is. So how do you... Oh, wouldn't that how, be good? <laughs> how, do you, how do you clarify the size of the market when you're going into this specialising in such a specific um, niche? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, that data even today is very hard to find. There has not been any really conclusive research that's done on women's breast sizes. Um, at the time, what we honestly, what we mostly went on is speaking to women. So, you know, within our research, we would just ask women about their bra experiences and almost 100% of them had negative bra fitting experiences. Um, and that was also coupled with when we would walk into uh, lingerie boutiques or lingerie department stores, um, there was nothing that fit us. You know, we, we thought we mustn't be the only women that are made to feel like this when we walk out of a lingerie store surely there must be other women that struggle to find bras. Um, mm. And that was a real understatement. You know, there was there were so many. Um, we were also aware of a business in the UK who at that stage had 12 stores and their focus was decup and up. So it, it had, had been done overseas before us, which was... Um, some people could see that as a negative, but we saw it as a real bonus. We um, Mum went over there on a family trip and, and checked them out and looked at how they were doing it. And, and our model was, was, was different, our market was different, but we certainly le- learnt from other businesses along the way as well. Mm, well, that was kind of, I mean, proof of concept really, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you opened the doors to the first store. Talk me through the launch strategy because identifying or, or understanding intuitively that there's a market there um, yeah. is one thing, but you open the store, you open the doors to a store that specialises in decup and up. Um, how did you then find customers? Um, I think back then, I didn't even know what strategy meant. You know, <laughs> I think, I think we just, um, I remember we uh, created um, some flyers, we walked around physically ourselves and did a mail drop. Uh, we dropped into uh, clothes boutiques and bridal stores, active wear stores, and just let them know about us. Um, I think what really helped us, though, is um, we did uh, put out some media releases and had a current fair um, contact us, and they did a story, and that completely changed our business. Uh, it's a lot harder to get media, I think, these days. But at that stage, we were the first decup and up store in Australia. It was very new. So we were able to get um, a bit of media coverage uh, back then. But I think when it came to actually developing a strategy, um, 
look, I look back at, at our old business plan and it just had a lot of ideas on there about, you know, connecting with these uh, boutiques, um, speaking to women, going to, to events. Uh, but at the time, I think, um, again, it was quite instinctive. It was, it was just about um, sharing what we were doing with women. And women talk. Women talk so much. So we would often get women coming in who heard about us through through somebody else. So the word of mouth was very important. And word of mouth and word of mouth has been critical to your strategy. I was looking um, earlier today on uh, just reading some of your online reviews and what really struck me um, about, you know, when I was reading those reviews is for a lot of your customers, this is actually um, much more than a bra that fits properly, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, when women walk out of a store unable to find a bra that fits them, feels comfortable, makes them feel good. When they finally found that, it it can be, I mean, you may have read on the on the testimonials, the words, you've changed my life, it's life changing. Uh, it's, it's amazing what a good bra, you know, with a good fitter in a supportive environment um, can do for a woman. And we see women you know, in their 50s and their 60s that have never been comfortable in a bra before. They've mm. been through decades of having discomfort. So um, it can change their life and how they feel about their body um, and how clothes look on them and, and just not, you know, going through your day, whether you run your own business or work in corporate, anywhere. If you're fiddling with your bra and you're uncomfortable, it can be very distracting Um so yeah, uh, uh, I actually can't say enough how um, much a well-fitting bra can help a woman, a mm. woman to feel better, and that's why I love my business because we see it every day in the change room. Mm. Yeah. And life-changing is a is the the term or the words that so many of your customers use. Which, which... Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It can't, it can't be underestimated. But we see it in the change room. We see. You know, we have quite a few tears in the change room. Quite often women come in and they just feel so so bad about their body um, because they don't like how their breasts look. They don't like the size or the shape or they may have been teased years ago in school about their bouncing breasts or, you know, that they've got big boobs and, <clears throat> you know, that it really stands out. So they, they carry that along with them or it may have been a comment that um, a, a guy had said or their mother had said to them and they carry around that with them for so many years so when they walk into our change room it's so important the language we use you know that we approach it with a, a, a gentleness a, a softness uh, taking a more holistic approach to to helping them um, with their, their bras but yeah, it's um, it's quite amazing. And then when they walk out, when they're fitted in the correct bra, you see an automatic transformation. Their shoulders go back, their head is lifted higher. You know, they get a smile on their face. Um, it's quite amazing. And when we get young girls in teenage girls who are not playing sport because they can't find a sports bra to fit them, you know, they're in coming in as a teenager, so they're getting a good fitting bra from adolescence, whereas many women have gone through decades of um, not having a good bra. So, um, yeah, it's it's so important. And your customer experience has really been, um, caught, you know, really 
critical to your success. Um, is that something you focused on from the very beginning or is that something that has evolved as the business has expanded? Um, to be honest with you, it was always um, our view that we wanted for women to feel good when they when they walked out the door and, and in the door. Um, and to us, you know, we've always had a policy in Brava that our staff must never put a sale in front of the customer. And that's quite unusual in retail. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have targets and, you know, we, we look at how else we can, we can help the customer. Um, but we would never sell a bra to a customer if it wasn't right for her, which is, uh, doesn't always happen in, in, um, in lingerie stores. So putting the customer first um, is what has been really important to us and it's why you see those testimonials online. Um, it's also been very important to us, the staff um, that, we, that we have. You know, we have some amazing uh, women, but we employ them based more on their warmth and their integrity and what they and and how they speak to us and how they relate to women rather than the technical bra fitting side because you can teach that um, but it's more when women are naturally uh, like working with other women um, you've really just got to polish the um, that interaction rather than um, teach them a step-by-step -step process from the beginning so if they're naturally warm beautiful women then that's how they're going to come across to our customers. So that's that's really important to us that um, we choose well when it comes to staff. Mm. And talk us through your recruitment strategy because I'm assuming that the way that you hire your team is quite different to a traditional retailer. As you say, you look more for the personality traits rather than what their skill set might be. Yeah, absolutely. And we've pretty much done that from the beginning. Um, my mum does most of the hiring um, and my mum's a people person, you know, she loves chatting to staff, finding out about their lives. So when it comes to the interview process, that's pretty much what it is. And we've had um, feedback from staff saying how nice the interview was because they'll just sit and chat with mum. And mum's very intuitive when it comes to people, you know, we, we don't often get it wrong and, and our staff seem to stay with us for, for quite a long time. So as much as sales skills can be important and bra fitting fundamentals can be important, we would prefer to hire somebody with no bra fitting skills, but a really great person, personality with warmth than somebody who's had 10 years bra fitting experience. Because I think you can teach bra fitting experience, but it's harder to teach somebody integrity um, and empathy. Um, so yeah, we've, we've, I think we've done that for the, since we've been in business. Mm, which is quite unusual in retail. And speaking of unusual in retail, you are really defying the retail trend. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of retailers are struggling. In fact, we've seen some spectacular retail collapses just in the last few weeks, even including some of the online models like Style Runner going into receivership. Yeah. Um, while all of that's happening, Brava is actually expanding. Um, so what is it do you think that you're doing differently? Um, look, we, we maintain the focus on the customer experience. You know, when we are seeing with some of our stores less people coming through the store. So 
that means that we need to ramp up our customer experience rather than cut staffing costs. So, you know, we always, we've always had high standards and I think we've just got to keep working on that. Um, it's also important to merge online with in-store as well. You know, we know that people are buying differently now. So, um, you know, we've just created um, what we call the virtual fitter, which is how we fit women online. So, um, and we try to replicate that in-store experience. So we don't use tape measures in-store. We um, we knew within the first few weeks of opening, even with our little experience, that they just didn't work on women with a fuller bust. So because we fit by eye, we also do that online. So women can contact us, um, upload in a in the portal um, images of them with their um, wearing their bras, and we can fit them by eye with along with a few questions. So I think just keeping up with technology and being innovative um, is really important for brick and mortar stores. You know, I know that there are some lingerie stores, for example, in regional areas or, or other areas are closing because some of them don't have a website and, you know, they're still using fax machines and just not keeping up and being able to market online. So. I think it's just really important to um, keep up with uh, with those innovations. And I also think it's, um, so bodies are changing and so are the, the ways that we view bodies. You know, we're recently also replacing our model images, so our supplier images with our customer photography. Um, we've just renovated our High Point store and now instead of models, we have our customers um, about two metres by one metre on our wall. Um, there's nine customers up there. So when women walk in, they can relate. Um, so I think it's really about being current and not falling behind because if you're not doing anything different, if you don't have a point of difference, um, or you can't articulate it, then you probably don't have one. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's just continually innovating. And in that innovation cycle or, you know, doing things differently, like putting real customers up, and you know, I'm fascinated to know how you how you convince them to do that, to pose in their um, bras to be put up life-size in store. Um, but how much involvement or how much do you engage your customers in that process? Do you consult them in an advisory capacity? Um you know, how involved are your customers in making those decisions about innovation uh, and going, you know, taking Brava to the next level? Um, look, I think it's just always, so mum and I um, have, we have a flyer at eight, on each of our counters um, with our personal email. So um, it's Lynn and Maxine at bravalandre.com.au and we encourage and our staff encourage customers to send us feedback directly and mum answers those uh, all of that feedback personally um, and she's away at the moment so I've been doing it so it's been quite en enlightening the the feedback that we're getting is just so useful and there's lovely feedback there so we listen to that and and I think that's why we started replacing our imagery with customers too because that's what customers 
were wanting and they would see um, our customers on social media and give us really positive feedback about it. So we knew that it was very important to our customers to see women who were reflecting them and they had similar bodies to to themselves. So I, I think that pretty much came from customer feedback. Mm. Um, and when it came to the virtual fitter, very, very um, similar, you know, a lot of women live in regional areas or they uh, have kids, they can't get into a store or they may have a disability or have anxiety. So being able to talk and communicate with one of our fitters um, online is very, is very important to these, these women because um, there may not be an alternative for them. So I think those two particular innovations um, was based very much on customer feedback. Mm, mm. And as the uh, retail footprint is expanding, you've got six stores now, uh, mm-hmm. is, are you seeing a growth in the online um, part of the business? Like is, is online making up a, a bigger and bigger part of your revenue? Yeah, there's certainly a stronger uh, growth with online. Um um, our, I mean, our store footprint is growing and we would like to keep growing because we know how important it is to our customers. Um, but our, um, online does grow at a, at a faster pace. But also, you know, we get people, so many people through the stores from our online. So um, they will usually research us first and then come into store. So the online space is extremely important to, to us. Yeah, mm. and in a retail market that you know, as as we've said, is according to many analysts, is officially in recession. Do you ever mm. wake up in the middle of the night and panic about how committed you are from a bricks and mortar overheads perspective? Um, it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, sometimes when the chips are down, or if if a store isn't doing well. Um, I immediately go into, okay, what can we do different? What can we do do better? Um, you know, for me, it's always about continuous improvement. Uh, you know, we also get a lot of feedback from our staff and what can we be doing differently? What's the feedback? What ideas do you have? Um, I have a lot of faith in brick and mortar, um, but I think it's just so important to just keep on top of it you know, I, I, I'm not concerned that there certainly have been um, slow times in some of our stores. Um, a couple of our stores year on year um, have not grown. So, you know, we have to completely, continually um, assess and review where we are. And, and, you know, when leases are ending, we do have to ask the question, is this in the right position? Do we want to continue with this store? Um and it's also, you know, the high street is is changing. You know, there, there's not many, for example, in Victoria, in, in Melbourne, there's not many thriving high streets left. Mm. So then we need to look at, well, should we should our strategy be in the shopping centres? You know, so it's it's just always continually looking at our business um, and ensuring we're keeping up with with changes because if we're just doing the same that we do every year but the retail landscape is changing and we're not keeping up with it, then we are going to fall behind. Mm. 
And you are, I mean, in defying the, the retail trend, um, you've won a few awards for that. Can you talk us through how those awards have come about and what they've done for the business? Yeah, look, I love awards because it enables us to share with our staff team what a great uh, job that they're doing, you know, and it's it's pretty special when you're up against really big companies um, and a smaller retail like ourselves, you know, gets up on stage um, and especially to do it with my mum. You know, my mum's awesome. You know, she's in her 70s. She's still working six days a week. So it's really great to share that with her as well. Um, but just to be recognised, and most of our awards, actually all of our awards, um, we won four last year with three different retail organisations, um, all were focused on the customer experience um, and, you know, customer service team. Um, so, yeah, awards are certainly nice to have and, and be recognised. So we'll probably uh, continue to um, put ourselves forward for those for those awards. And it's a nice way of reflecting on how far you've come as well, because I'm assuming that putting those award submissions together, it, it kind of almost gives you a good benchmark, as you say, not just to share with the staff, but also for you to look at um, how far the business has come. Yeah, um, because I know with Mum and I, when when good things happen or when we open a new store, we just continue working, you know. It's exciting and it's interesting at the time and, and, you know, we love to progress. But quite often we don't celebrate the wins. And, you know, so when I guess when we get awards, um, that's recognition of that and, um and yeah, so we've we've got a we've got a few now. So um, yeah, no, I think that I think they're very nice to have. This episode of the Epic Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Storage King. When you're building an epic business in life, sometimes you have to store some excess stuff. It could be furniture, retail stock, or even somewhere to house the epic ideas that you're going to have after listening to this show. If that's you, speak to the awesome kings and queens at Storage King. In fact, they have a special introductory offer for epic podcast listeners to get you started. Simply head over to storageking.com.au slash epic to learn all about it. So, Maxine, working with your mum, that I'm assuming that must have its moments. <laughs> well, we work in separate offices now, but, um, you know, we've always got along well, always been very close, and um, our values are, are very similar. So we want the same for uh, the women we serve and, and our business. Um, there was certainly a time a few years ago when we were in the same office and in most days that um, we would get on each other's nerves. Um, so then I started working from home a little bit and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the different stores. Um, and now we work extremely well together. Um, so, yeah, I know some people say, oh, I could never work with my mother or I could never work with my, my daughter. But for mum and I, it's just, it's worked really well. I think we uh, we have a lot of respect for each other. And now, you know, we had a lot of crossover with our roles, which I think made it quite challenging, for example, for her, our staff to know who to go to for, for 
different different questions. So we worked with a business coach um, a few years back and defined our roles. You know, mum was more the, the people person, so she works with staff and HR was more business development. So I work with the buying team and and we sort of share marketing a bit. So I think defining our roles really helped us, um, you know, to, to um, it strengthened us really. Mm, yeah, mm, That's really good advice. So aside from working with a business coach, what would you say has been the game changer for you? What have you focused on? What have you learned? What is there a book that you've read? Like if you had to look back on the, the journey for the last 13 years and say, well, that was the thing that really enabled us to go to a new level. Can you can you define it into one or two things? Um, look, I think just that can just being open to um, feedback and you know I mentioned before about you know we get feedback from our customers every single day in the in the in our inbox because we ask for it. But what's really useful is negative feedback. And um, it seems strange to say I like getting negative feedback, but they're the customers that are actually telling us about it. Um, and it's and it's rare and we don't often get it. We get so many po- positive. But when we get negative feedback, it makes us think, oh, how can we do that different next time? You know, we, we let the staff know, just like we do with positive feedback. We let the staff know. We have a discussion. We have this 360-degree uh, feedback process where um, a few of the teams hear about this feedback and then we come together and say well how can we do this different why did this customer have this experience um, and then we go back to the customer and we um, with with what we had found out and how it can be different um, so I think that has um, actually um, you know uh, doing something with that feedback and making a, a team effort I think has been a game changer because I know that people don't usually like to listen to that sort of feedback but I think it's it's crucial for us it's also um, I think another thing which we have done in the last couple of years which has been a game changer is our business coach uh, encouraged us to develop an advice an advisory board Mm-hmm. Um, so we have six people on our advisory board, all volunteers. They're uh, professionals that have worked with us in the past and really loved our business, so was happy to be a part of it. And we meet once a month for three hours, talk about every aspect of the business. Um, and it's something I would encourage other business owners to do because I know it's hard to ask others for help, but you'd be surprised at how many people do actually want to help. Um, it was the same as when we started Brava before we even opened the doors. Um, we got a group of 10 of our friends and to help us brainstorm a business name. And everybody was happy to help, you know. Mm. So I think sometimes it's important to, to ask. So, um, yeah, the advisory board um, has been going for about 18 months and it really uh, – is a good support for mum and I because sometimes you just get decision fatigue and you don't actually know what is the right decision. So having those people support us um, has been um, pretty amazing. Wow. And how did you identify who you wanted on the board? I sort of knew straight away. I um, 
when our business coach suggested suggested it, uh, we had worked. So we have um, Rob, who has been working us with us for a few years. He's a digital strategist. Um, so because uh, online in the digital space is so important to us moving forward, we knew, and he has a vast array of, of experience in other areas. Um, and you know, I like him. You know, I knew it'd be nice to have him on the on the board. And the other um, woman, Kylie, his HR and leadership. And as we were growing, and and you know, it's not my strength always to have these converse, these hard conversations with staff and. Um, you know, as as we grow, and I knew that having somebody in HR and leadership was going to be important to our growth. And also my mum's partner, who has a strong uh, background in business development. Uh, he was a no-brainer as well. Um, so it was just a good mix of people um, who were very strong in their areas. So, yeah, and I asked both of them, or the three of them, they all said yes, and by the next month we had an advisory board. So, um, yeah, it was really good. Mm. And what sort of agenda items? Do you set the agenda for each meeting? Yeah, we have the same agenda for each meeting or the same structure, um, and then our coach will put together different uh, specific areas we need to discuss based on what's happened in the, in the previous month. But generally we'll talk about, we'll look at our um, profit and loss statements and look at each store individually. Um, I have a store report from our area manager who also has reports from her store managers. So she will provide a summary of how each store is going, any challenges, any any wins. Um, and then we will pick out the areas that we really need to focus on, um, whether that be staffing, whether it be marketing. So if a, if a store, for example, is um, feels a little bit uh, quiet, then we may focus on that particular store and look at strategies to to get people in the door or contact our old customers, speak to the store manager, see what ideas they have, and then put plans in place to to look at increasing, you know, sales in that in that store. We have a an HR element where we're talking about staffing, business development, um, marketing. So yeah, there's probably about five or six different areas that we talk, and then um, usually Mum and I have tasks that we walk away with that we need to do within that month, and then come back and report the following month. Mm. And I'm assuming that that is a great way not only to get those different perspectives and skill sets, but also for you to feel supported in a leadership position because when you're running a business like this, it can be quite lonely. And as you say, also um, decision fatigue is another another element. Yeah, look, it's actually the board are very supportive of mum and I. So if anything, it confirmed that we were doing some things right, you know, um, but also they challenge us as well. You know, I may want to make a decision about whether it be a certain position in the business or, um, look, it could be anything. And when I have five other people challenging and saying, oh, I'm not sure that's the right idea, as much as it's really hard to hear, um, there's a lot of experience in the room. So it's, it's really important for me to I guess drop my ego and listen and and know that I don't know it all. So and it's a very 
good, robust discussion when mm. that happens and everybody's very respectful of each other. But, it, yeah, it's really nice to get encouragement too, you know, when they tell me that I've done a good job or, or that something really good has happened. It's really the first time that that had ever happened, mm. you know. So when you're in a business and you're you're dealing with staff, as a business owner, nobody comes up to you and says, oh, you're doing a really great job, you know. It's just – and you don't expect it either. I certainly don't expect it. But when you have a board, you you hear that. So yeah, it's it's quite it's quite comforting and um it helps you to to move forward. So Maxine, looking back over the last 13 years of this amazing journey, you said in the very beginning that if you knew then what you know now, you perhaps wouldn't have opened that store. But mm. looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Um I think not so much differently. I think I would have, you know, I spoke about the ego before. I think sometimes, for example, you know, we would sit, mum and I would sit down with the accountant and they would talk about the numbers and we had no idea what any of it meant. You know, it's never been our strength. Um, I know a lot more now, but I never asked questions because I was fearful of looking stupid you know, I felt like, oh, this must be stuff that I should know by now. And this is a few years in. So it was probably down the four or five year mark where we actually had a proper look at our numbers and thought, oh, you know, they're not they're not looking so good. What's going on? Um, and when I learnt a bit more about the numbers, we made so many changes to our inventory ordering and our staffing our rostering um, and it was probably a two-year process so I think if I was going to do anything differently it would be not to be afraid to ask what I perceived as dumb questions because had I known a bit more about the numbers and how business actually works and how to read a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet we probably wouldn't have made um, costly errors in the first few years which was basically the biggest one would have been ordering too much stock um, and um, not reviewing it um, early enough it took us a few years to do that we would just basically buy in what we thought was was nice you know um, so I think I would probably ask more, more questions of people yeah and do you look at those reports differently now I guess, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, it doesn't sound like you're a natural numbers person. No. Um, how did you get to a point where you now enjoy looking at a P&L and, and look forward to the numbers and, and sort of, you know, get into it, get more into the financial dashboard of the business? Yeah, look, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I enjoy it, um, but because I understand what I should be looking at now, it serves my business well. And when I can see the business improving, then that's a really good feeling because I know that the changes mm -hmm. I've made is based on looking at the numbers. Because I think in the first few years, it was all about, it was all about customer service and we were really enjoying it. And we were, you know, providing a service that women were telling us they were really happy with. Um, but all the business stuff, uh, yeah, got put, put to the back. Um, but now I, well, it's just a natural progression now, you know, we look at the numbers all the time, we analyse the numbers because we have to, 
if we didn't, we wouldn't have six stores. And I think it was probably up to store two or three that we realised how important it was. Um, so now it's probably one of the biggest part of my role, actually, to make sure the numbers mm. are, are looking right. So where where to next for Brava, Maxine? You've got six stores now. Is the yep. expansion plan going to continue? Um, do you think that there's a, a sweet spot um that exists in terms of your retail footprint. Can you share a little bit about what's on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, mum and I have always wanted to help more women and we feel that we can do that with with more stores. Um, and I know, you know, the negativity around, around bricks and mortar stores and people say, well, why don't you do just online? It's easier. But that's not where our heart is. That's not where we know we can help women to feel better about themselves. We know having stores does that, that that interaction. So opening stores is certainly the direction that we want to go in. Um, we certainly know that interstate, uh, other states need us. We, we often, look, every couple of weeks, we'll get customers asking us to open a store up in their area. But we do have to tread carefully. You know, our, our strategy a few years ago was to open two stores every year. We manage one store a year um, and this financial year we're just we're being a little bit more conservative we're just fine-tuning some of our processes and our, and our systems ready to expand so um, I think you'll see next year there'll be more growth from us but we're just not going to go too too much too fast um, because we've seen how um, when that happens what can happen so yeah you'll you'll see more brava stores for sure i'll look forward to that maxine thanks for being on the show today for sharing your story and um, congratulations on defying the retail trends and, and thriving in what is a pretty challenging market right now we can't wait to see what happens next with brava thanks amanda How cool is Maxine and how cool is it that she's doing it with her mum? I love this story. As someone who has a passion for marketing to women, I loved this chat. And for me, there were a couple of really clear takeaways. Number one, sometimes having little or no experience in an industry is actually a good thing. Maxine started Brava with no retail or bra fitting experience. And for me, I kind of feel it's enabled her to approach things from a very customer centric point of view, even now with six stores. Number two, know your numbers and ask for help. Even with little business experience, Maxine has taught herself to be able to read the dashboard of her business, uh, which is pretty important now with six stores. And she's also, more importantly, surrounded herself with people, specifically an advisory board, who can help her make the tough decisions and provide different perspectives and skill sets. And number three, and most importantly, talk to your customers. The openness of the Brava business to get customer feedback, both positive and negative, has been a core part of the evolution of the brand. This is a business that is very close to their customer base and has been able to, as a result, leverage customer advocacy, word of mouth and word of mouth to grow exponentially. Well, now it's time for a new segment around productivity. And to help me today, we've got our resident productivity hack expert, Tina Tower. Hey, welcome to the show, Tina. 
Thanks, Amanda. Very excited to be on here. Hey, the topic that we're going to talk about today, because you are a bit of a productivity expert. I don't know many ninja. people. Ninja. I would use the word ninja. Ninja. Yeah. I love it. I don't know um, many people who get as much done in a day as you. So <laughs> I want to climb inside your mind and get all of your secrets for our listeners. And the topic today is about running your day, which is a pretty big topic. Um mm. How is it that some people get an epic amount done every day? You, I mean, you've been studying the psychology of productivity for mm-hmm. a long, long time. What is the secret? Yeah, I have. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out that I did get more done in a day than a lot of other people. I just thought it was all very normal. And so it was only really a few years ago that I really unpacked all of that and went, why is it that that happens? Um, and I think it, it's focus. It's doing the boring stuff. So a lot of people like creativity and, and you know, all of the, the see where the world takes us kind of mentality, um, which is fun, but business is profitable and goes really well when it's boring. So when you can work out the things that are going to make the biggest difference and what's in line with your values and focus on that and just do the things that you know you need to do to move the needle, it's really that simple. Um, And a lot of people just simply don't do it. So in terms of running your day, um, there's a few different things that we can do. So do you want me to run you through a couple of the different things that we do do to run the day? Yeah. Okay. So first one is scheduling. Um, So I know a lot of people operate from a to-do list. And so when you look at a giant to-do list and every day you're looking at that and then you complete one task, you tick it off and then you go to the next one. Every time you complete that task, you're looking at all of the other tasks. And so in your mind, it's taking up all of this space by being overwhelmed by all of the things on the list. So rather than doing that, and then we've got this perpetual I don't know, feeling of inadequacy that people get to the end of the day and they're constantly disappointed in going, oh my gosh, I wanted to get so much done and I got nowhere near enough done from what I wanted. Um, But people find that it was totally unrealistic to begin with. So this is where scheduling comes in. You may have, for example, record a podcast episode. And so is that going to take, you know, an hour of prep, an hour of recording? What, How much time is that going to take? And then actually putting that into the calendar. And so you fill your day with all the things that are most important. Close that to-do list off because there's always going to be 50,000 more things left on the list. And then just follow the calendar. So that way you're not having to think about everything else. You're trusting yourself. You're knowing exactly what it is you need to do. And then it's having the discipline to actually stick to it and not get distracted by the beautiful shiny light. Oh, I love that. So, and that I, I have suffered from that because I think we're all naturally overly optimistic on a to-do yeah. list, aren't we? Because <laughs> so once, much, once yeah. you start a to-do list, there's just more and more stuff that you can add to it. And so yeah. carrying over that to-do list at the end of the day perpetually just, it, it does it, it, I guess, reminds you that you're not getting stuff done. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, you, you touched on a good thing there is is when all the other things come up. Um, so like a little bit of a hack in there, I know we've mentioned this off air a little bit, is I use monday.com. Um, so I love the program. It's it's kind of like a task manager. It's kind of like Asana and Trello, um, but it's kind of the new kid on the block in the last year. And I like it because it's aesthetically pleasing and very colourful. Um, and so for that, I've got my iPhone app. So if anything comes up during the day when I'm concentrating on another task, that I think, oh, I could do this too and I want to do this too. Rather than getting off course and getting distracted with that, I just chuck it in my to-do list on Monday. Don't look at anything else. You just 
hit plus, add it in, and then it's there so that when I'm doing my next planning for the following week or the following day, I can see that and then slot it in if I want to, but I don't let it derail me from what I'm currently doing. Mm, That's a really good tip because I think, and again, I'm guilty of this, is just focusing, probably spending too much time on the to-do list rather than the (laughs) to-do, rather than the doing. (laughs) Too much time on the to-do rather than the actual do. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're looking at the list, like there's sometimes, you know, our to-do list can actually grow quicker than the pace at which we can get things done. Because it's kind of like the other day I was reading this article on curse of the competent and I was going, it it so resonated with me because the the more, not successful we are, but the more, the more we're able to achieve and get done, the more opportunities will open up and the mm. more that you can do. So and true. so when all of this stuff comes up, you know, it's very easy to just keep growing and growing the list without actually getting anything done. Yeah. Because you're like, look at me, I'm getting so much done. Let's mm-hmm. add more yeah. to the I'm list. I'm so busy. Yeah, busy yeah. means you're just really, really bad at time management. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good tip. So scheduling rather than the to-do list. Although I do love a ta-da list, which is a list I make of the things that I have done. So then I go, ta-da, done. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, there is, there's a function on Monday where when you mark it as done, confetti bursts over the screen. And that really has my heart. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love. I want confetti thrown at me every time. I I love a bit of recognition, a little mini ticker Uh tape parade when you get things done. Okay. Excellent. All right. What's the next thing? Um, And the other one that I would say in running your day is batching. Um, So rather than switching between lots of different things all the time is when you go to plan your week out and when you go to plan your day out, trying to get as many like things all backed up against each other because it means that you'll get into that sort of zone. And so from a productivity point of view, you'll get things done far, far quicker. Mm, Awesome. Um, I want to ask you about the morning because there's been a lot of um, articles and a lot of insights and a lot of, um, I guess, entrepreneurs uh, are very vocal about their morning and how important Mm. it is. Like you you do your morning right and it sets you up for the day. Can you talk us through your morning routine? Yeah. I'm a little ashamed (laughs) of my morning. So I have actually read the 5am club. I've read all of the books on the magic morning, all of that sort of thing. Um, You know, even right down to how many publications say simply making your bed changes things. I don't make a bed. To me, that's just 10 minutes wasted. I'm going to mess it up again. I don't give a shit. It doesn't put me in any better headspace. Yeah, the making, um, the, the, making the bed thing, I'm totally with you on that. I tried that for three yeah. days. Then I'm like, I'm no more yeah. productive making my yeah. bed. It just feels I mean, stupid. I think as with everything, <laughs> the most important thing is to do to experiment with a whole heap of things and see what sets you up for the best day. Um, so I used to, when I was running, I used to have a company called Big and Bright, which was a big franchise system. We had over 30 locations, 120 staff. So that was a bigger business. Um, and so I was at work really early in the morning. Um, and so for that, I was fairly strict with the morning routine. I would get up with an alarm, I would meditate, I would have my breakfast, and then I would get to the office. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't didn't like it at all. It, I didn't love it. Now, people would look at my morning and kind of go, wow, that just goes against everything in productivity books because I never wake up with an alarm. I wake up naturally and my kids come into bed and they're big kids. They're 10 and 11. They come into bed. We sit there, we snuggle, probably spend about half an hour just chatting about the world. And then after that, we get up, we have cups of tea and then we move ourselves, all of us to the veranda. And then we sit there for about another half an hour having a chat. So it's a really slow, calm, 
start to the day and something that I very much didn't used to do. But, you know, a few years ago I got adrenal fatigue and burnout. And so like that's just totally different now. So Mm. the moral of that for me is figure out what feels good for you and what gets you in the right headspace. And if that is getting out of bed at five o'clock, putting your shoes on and going for a run, power to you. I really wish I was that awesome. (laughs) But it's not my thing. So I like bed. So your momentum in a day is more of a slow burn. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah. Well, I think when I was younger, I was definitely a morning person. Now that I'm the ripe old age of 35, I think I'm no longer an, like I've never been a nighttime person, but I'm probably not a morning person either. I'm like just a just a middle of the day sort of person. Mm, so find what works for you um, and obviously focus on that scheduling Yes. So the uh, the other question I have for you is when you are scheduling and things come up as they do and derail Mm. your day, how do you get focused back on your schedule? Yeah. So I'm pretty specific with what I let get in because I think a lot of things that can be interpreted as an emergency are actually not. Um, And so I'm really specific with I'll only check my emails a couple of times a day. So I have it off because I'm on a Mac. So as soon as I see that little red number come up, it's like a magnet for me. I just need to check it. So I physically turn that off so that I don't see that. And then when I go into that, I look at all of the emails and I either delete, respond or like take care of it right there and then rather than because some of the emails, if you're not doing that sort of practice, you could read an email three or four times before you actually get rid of it and you know if you see something on your phone that comes through you'll mentally respond to that like three times before you actually get back to it which is a waste of brain space Um, so I'm really purposeful with how I do those sorts of things and then it comes down to um, like my phone is on silent I don't have any notifications on my phone for um, like Instagram and Facebook and that sort of thing with the exception of Facebook Messenger Um, so Facebook Messenger is the only thing that comes up and text messages Um, but everything's on silent and so nothing really permeates that your how what works really well is when you choose to actually be exposed to all of that rather than the other way around Um, because otherwise you'll get interrupted constantly Um, and we can think especially as women that we can do all this multitasking but it's it's not like any science will show you not multitasking it's stopping and starting and stopping and starting and that's going to exhaust your brain which is going to slow down the productivity Mm, so total discipline rather than being in reactory mode reaction i guess yeah tina they are some awesome tips thank you so much look forward to the next installment and of course you can learn more about tina's coaching and her new book one life at tinatower.com thank you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope that you're feeling inspired to go and do, create or manifest something epic in your life. And if you're feeling inspired, perhaps give this episode an epic share on your favourite socials. I would be epically grateful. I'm Amanda Stevens, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Epic Podcast.